Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. So last week was my first Sunday back at preaching, and there's a few of you that said, Pastor, you did really good, except for you apologized too much during your sermon. And so I just want to start off today by saying I'm sorry for apologizing so much last week, and uh, I'll do my best not to today. Um, it, it was, it, we, we did it, and that was good. Um, Genesis chapter 3, and the reason I'm going here is, uh, uh, man, I can't go into everything that's been going on in my heart this whole week, but basically the Lord had just been like, he he just kind of been punching the reset button on some things in my life, and um, it's been really, really good, and I feel, I would love to talk to any one of you at length about what the Lord's been doing in my life, because it's been really great, um, but with the time we have today, I don't want to, I don't want to do all that. Um, uh, it's just been really good, and the Lord is faithful. Uh, one thing is, I was like, Lord, like, where do I minister from? And what, what got me is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing, right? Okay, my heart is alive right now. I need you guys to wake up and join me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a pretty amazing thing. Amen? You got to help me preach this morning, or I'm going to make you apologize. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry for saying that. No. Um, wake up. Wake up. The resurrection of Jesus is pretty great. And, and something that just struck my heart was like the guys on the road to Emmaus, right? After Jesus rises from the dead, these guys are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus joins them on their journey, and they have no clue that it's him. And as he's talking to them, like, he starts opening up the scripture. He starts opening up the Old Testament and telling them how the Old Testament testifies of Jesus Christ. And, and the scripture says later that their hearts burn within them as he was opening up the scripture with them and then later he reveals that it's him they're like oh my goodness and they have to run all the way back to jerusalem and tell everybody what's happening which that's what happens when god really gets a hold of you and really speaks something to you you have to run and find someone to tell thank you john you don't have to apologize genesis chapter three then i was like okay if the old testament testifies of jesus christ i want to dive in and i was like Let's go back to some of the first places in Scripture where we see Jesus. And this is at the beginning of all things. What we see here in Genesis is God's creating the world. He's speaking the world into existence. And what we see here in Genesis chapter 3 is right after he has created man. Mankind, if you will. And it says here, it says, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the lord god had made and i, I want to pause right here and say that that the, the serpent god had made now the choices the serpent did god didn't make those 
just the same way that God made you, but he's not forcing your choices. People say, well, why did God create evil? God did not create evil. He created people with choices. Why is there evil? Why would God allow evil in the world? And my question was always, why do you allow evil in the world? And people are always like, well, I don't allow evil. I was like, yes, you do, because you, last week you bought a flat screen TV and you could have sent that money to people in Africa who needed it. That's you allowing evil in the world. And I'm not coming against anybody. But I'm just saying, we do. We allow evil in the world. Some of us are more overt about it. So it says the serpent was more crafty than any other beast that the Lord God had made. And I want to look at this word Lord God because in your Bible you'll see that word Lord is capital L-O-R-D. And that doesn't mean Lord like master or king. That's not that word. This word Lord is the special name that the Hebrew people had for their God, Yahweh, Jehovah. It was their God. It was an intimate name between their people and their God. It wasn't just God, it was, it was basically saying our God, our, like the God, not just God. And so it says Lord God, so it's saying Yahweh Elohim. Elohim is that word God, it just means God. But this is the Lord God. And if you just back up, look in chapter 2, if you can just flip your page and look in chapter 2, and you'll see like in verse 9 it says Lord God. In verse 15 it says Lord God. In verse 16, it says, Lord God. In 18, it says, Lord God. And all this is in the section of Scripture where God is creating man. And as God is creating man, before when he was creating the world, he was just God. If you actually look at chapter 1, he's just God. He's just Elohim. He's just God. He's just God. But when he starts to make man, he starts saying, you know who I am? I am your God. I am your God, man. I am your God. I am your God. I am your God. And then something happens here when he's talking about man, there's a turn because it says that the Lord God had made because Lord God had made everything. And then as we get into the next part of this verse, it says the serpent says to the woman, did God actually say and notice he didn't say, did Lord God, not your God, just just that guy who created stuff. He leaves out that Elohim. He leaves out, I mean, he leaves out that Yahweh. It's not Lord God anymore. It's just God. Did God actually say, and I think that's funny because sometimes, like, I don't think it's funny. I think it's awful, but sometimes that's the way, like, we all believe God exists, but when we start getting close to seasons where we're not really living for the Lord, it's because he doesn't really feel personal to us anymore. So, you know, he's kind of at a distance. He's just God. I still believe in God, but I'm not going to live for him. He's not my God. And he says, he said to the woman, did God actually say? And I have that highlighted in my Bible because I think that's kind of like the beginning of so much of our sin and our struggle is that we begin by, first of all, we question God's word and we question God's character. Did God actually say, and I think it's, I think it's, man, I mean, there's so much sin. It's like, 
like, well, it's, I mean, is it really bad to do this? You know, we deal a lot with teenagers, like, well, how far is too far when we're getting physical? Like, you know, like, like and the question itself is wrong. If you're asking the question, your heart's already in the wrong place, right? It, it, it's like, with so many things in life, it says in Romans 14, if, if, if you do anything and there's doubt in your heart about it, it's sin. Maybe it's not for you, but it probably is for you. Like That's, that's kind of the way it works, because you're like, well, did God actually say? There's this doubt that comes on us, and we're like, well, maybe. And what happens is what starts with doubt ends in disobedience. That doesn't always just because the temptation is there, just because the doubt creeps in, doesn't mean you're automatically going to fall into sin. I'm just saying, when the doubt starts, that's when you need a big, giant heart check. Because what you're actually saying is, did God actually say, I mean, I mean, she's in a swimsuit. It's just one drink. I've been okay recently. I mean, it's, it depends on your situation, the thing, because all of us struggle with something different. And you have to walk out the things that God has called you to. All of us have different struggles. And that's why Romans 14 is so great. I would recommend go, go and, and read it, because what it's actually saying is, all the things you guys are arguing about as sinful, they're not really sinful. but you're doing them anyway and it's hurting other people and that is sinful. Right? Because they have doubt. So you're grieving them. And it becomes this thinking about other people thing and I just, anyway, I love it. Um, it's a really good thing. Uh, look, at, look at chapter 2, verse 16. Let's back up there for just a minute. Um, actually, let's do 15. If you just flip back. It says this. Because it says, did God actually say? Well, let's look at what God actually did say, right? Um, 2.15, the Lord God, Yahweh God, their God, took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day you eat it, you will surely die. That's what God said. That's what God said. And what the enemy says here, says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And he's actually, seems like he's quoting what God said. And that's what's so strange. And we see that in, in if you look in Luke 4 and Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus Right? He's being tempted by Satan, by the devil, right? And as he's being tempted, the devil actually quotes Scripture to Jesus. But he's twisting it to make Jesus doubt it. And what does Jesus do back? He uses word back, but in proper context. And that's, that's where this all lies, guys. And, and man... Over the last few weeks, have I had so many people just bring word at me, bring word at me. I mean, I've had a lot of people bring their opinions to me, too, and those are good. Uh, I, need, I need wisdom and advice, too. But can I tell you, when my heart changes is when people bring word to me. And it's this whole Mark 1.15, repent 
and believe the good news. Change your mind and believe this word. Because this is what you have to fight with. If you're going to try to fight with your opinions and your life experiences and everything else you think you have going on for you, that's rough. But this right here is alive and active. And that's why Jesus didn't just say, well, no, I'm not going to do it. No, Jesus brought the word against the enemy. And so here is the enemy is, is trying to use the word and twist the word to Eve as we read this. And it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither should you touch it. And I know a lot of you have heard this before. But it, she added something there that wasn't in that previous part. What did she add? I don't remember seeing anything about touching it. Right? And, and I don't know, because then it actually says, if we go back, it says, God tells this to Adam, and then he creates Eve. So how did Eve find this out? She must have found it out from Adam. And I could just see Adam, you know, laying down the rules, just like some of us do as parents sometimes or whatever. And we're like, hey, we don't want you to do, like, like, don't eat from that. And then we think, you know what? Let's just put another layer of protection here. Don't even touch it. And, and this is the beginning of religion right here. Just, just, just crazy. And, and the other day, the girls and I were reading in... Um, and Mark, where the disciples are walking through the fields and they're just pulling up the heads of grain and eating them. And the religious crowd goes nuts because they're working on the Sabbath, right? They're just, just kind of snacking, but they're working on the Sabbath. So the re religious cloud, crowd goes nuts. And Jesus responds, look, look. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, right? For, for us to have a day of rest. And that's what's crazy is God actually creates a day of rest. He said, you need a day of rest. And so what's crazy is, did you know that there is a, there's a spool of fishing line that runs all around the island of Manhattan? Have you ever heard of this? There is fishing line that goes around the island of Manhattan, and it's so that Jewish people can carry their car keys around town on the Sabbath or pick up their kids. And here's the way it goes. Early on, and this, just, just follow me, this is the way we add things. Don't look at it, or don't eat it, don't even touch it, right? Well, it goes like this. Well, you should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Let's make it a day of rest. How are we going to make it a day of rest? Well, don't, don't do any work on the Sabbath. Well, what's work? Well, don't, don't pick anything up or carry it or move anything around. Well, what about inside my house? Okay, inside your house is fine. Well, what if I need to do something out in the yard? Okay, anything inside your fence, your domicile, let's just, that's good. Yeah, but, I mean, I, what, if, what if I need to go over to my neighbors? Okay, let's, any anything inside the wall of the city, you could, on the Sabbath, right, it's, it's fine, okay, all right, well, that's good, well, wait, and it fast forward, like, well, what about modern cities that don't have walls, okay, let's, let's put a fishing line all the way around the island of Manhattan, so that I can carry my car keys with me, 
as I go around town that day. And actually, every Thursday, a rabbi drives around and checks that line. This last Thursday, a rabbi drove around to make sure that line was up so that Jewish people could carry their car keys. Talk about adding rules, right? We add rules, and it's just so they can honor God's law of resting on the Sabbath. And we come up with crazy stuff like that. Crazy stuff. And so here is, here is Eve, and she's starting with, well, I'm not supposed to eat it, but I'm not supposed to touch it either because I was told that, even though God didn't say that. And we like to add things to it. And I get it. It's because we love people. We want to protect them. But that's where we start to get in trouble, when we start adding things and building our own religion. And what I think is crazy here is, do you remember what God did say in there? He actually said, he said to man, uh, let me go back. He put him in the garden to work it and keep it, and he commanded the man, say, saying, you shall eat of every tree, but of the tree of knowledge you shall not eat. Oh, well, I got to back up, sorry. 126. Is that where it is? I got to go, well, go back further. 126. Um, I don't remember where I am. You, you'll know. I lost my place. I won't apologize for it, though. Um, I lost my place. But he actually said that, that, uh, that they would have dominion. He actually said they would have dominion over, over all creatures. That Eve should have known that, too, that she had, dom- like, she had authority over the snake. Instead, what's she doing? She's listening to him. Can I tell you something? When thoughts start coming up in your life, you could take those thoughts captive. You have authority over those temptations that come into your life. God has given you dominion over those things. It tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Sounds pretty bad, right? Poor us, we're victims. No, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, uh, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I love that in here that says that we're more than conquerors. And I always thought, why didn't you just say we're conquerors? And in, in the Greek, that's actually one word, more than conquerors. It actually means to be super conqueror, super victorious. You are super victorious. Come on now. We are super victorious, and that's what Eve didn't remember. Yeah, oh, I'm not supposed to eat it. I'm not supposed to touch it. But also, you're supposed to have authority and dominion over this thing. And I'm telling you, listen, when you get baptized, you're buried with his death, and you rise in his resurrection. And that's with victory, and you are no longer slaves to sin. You have authority over that. So when you can walk with Christ and when things start coming up, you're like, you know what? I don't have to dwell on this. I don't have to think about this. This doesn't have to be who I am because I'm a super victorious person. I am more than a conqueror. What I, what I hate here, what I absolutely hate is what he says 
next. He says, but the servant said to the woman, verse 4, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, God, once again, just God. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will be like God. This is where we need to go back to verse 26 of chapter 1. You will be like God. This is what it says, though. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion, here it is, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There's that reference. 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Guess who was already like God? What? What I hate is how we, we do this sometimes to each other and we tear each other down, not realizing that the person that we're tearing down is created in the image of God. But it happens to us sometimes that we don't feel adequate, we don't feel enough, not realizing that we are created in the image of God. And we think, if I do this thing or if I have this thing, it'll, it'll make me feel a little better. It's like a band-aid on a bullet wound. And it says that they would know good and evil. And this is, this is where Eve has a choice. She can choose the knowledge of God or she can choose the knowledge of good and evil. And, and that's kind of where religion is. We can have the knowledge of God or we can just be these good religious people that have a knowledge of good and evil. That's kind of a Romans 14 thing again. Is Well, I know all the right and wrong things and there's a ton of churches out today that are preaching about right and wrong, but, but can I tell you something? That's, that's not where God wants us to be. I think it's in Colossians chapter 3 where he tells us to set our mind on things above. On let's have the knowledge of God and not just start splitting hairs on what's right and what's wrong. And yeah, don't get me wrong. There's things that are right and wrong, right? That's right? Right. There, yeah. there is such thing as right and wrong. But guys, this is something we've taught so many years and, and so many, there are so many churches, even in this community that have this right, is that like if you're going to just sit down and try to tell people what's right and what's wrong, you're going to lose them. But if you can introduce them to Jesus Christ, if you can introduce them to the king of the universe, if you can give them the knowledge of God, it will completely change their heart. And God will take that hard heart and melt it. And, and they'll choose right and wrong. Like, like they'll know. The conviction of the Holy Spirit will be on them. You can bring them to the word then and say, hey, you know, I see this is going on in your life, brother. And this is what the word says about that. And they'll change their mind and believe the word. But, but we, we can't mix up the two. And what it says here is, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and she ate it. Um, it was delightful. And, and 
it says in James chapter 1, verse 14, um, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death, which is what the Lord warned him about, is that this is going to bring forth death in your life. And it reminds us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, that there is, there's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. In the ESV, it puts it like this. It says there's fleeting pleasures in sin. Guys, can I, can I just tell you something real honest? Sin is pleasurable. Sin feels good. Sin can be fun. It can make that pain go away. For a little bit. For just a little bit. But then it just comes back. That pain comes back. That hurt comes back. The disappointment comes back. There is pleasure in sin, but it's only for a moment. And she saw it for a moment. And this little season of delight, of desire, it lasts about as long as it takes her to grab it. And I can see she touches it. In my mind, it doesn't say here, but she touches it. And she's like, nothing happened. I was told not to touch it or I would die. I am touching it. Nothing is happening. Well, if I touched it and nothing happened, I wonder what happens if I eat it. I'm reading that into the story, but it says she, she took it of its fruit and she ate it. And it makes us pretty mad. At Eve, because she traded the knowledge of God for the knowledge of good and evil. It makes us kind of upset with Eve. And we think we would do better. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, man, Eve. She messed up thing for all of us, you know. Now there's sin in the world and everything else. You know you would do the same thing if you were there in the garden. You would have done the same thing. You know how I know? Because... I don't know what it was in your life, but there was at one point in your life, you knew what the right thing to do was. You knew it. And you chose not to. You chose to do the wrong thing. You have the same heart in you that she had in her. If you'd have been in that garden, you might have lasted a day. You might have lasted a month, maybe a year. But one day you would have walked up to that tree and been like, it does look pretty good. It does look pretty good. And we can't get totally mad at Eve because there's an idiot standing next to her. It says, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And I don't know, I, I don't know what's worse. To be the person committing the crime or the person just standing there not doing anything with their hands in your pocket like, I mean, okay, so listen to this. When I was like, I must have been like five years old, six, seven, eight, nine, I don't know. I was a kid. And there was one day, and we were at my, my grandparents' house, and my grandparents have this two-story house with this basement. And they have the world's steepest stairs that go down to that basement. It was before housing had regulations and stuff, you know, um, inspections and whatnot. These steep stairs. 
And we, we always liked going to Silver Dollar City and riding roller coasters. And we decided we were going to build our own roller coaster. We had found this large cardboard box. And we thought it would be really fun to get in the cardboard box and ride it down the stairs. Right? And so we get the box, we put it at the stop top, and we start looking around, and we look at my cousin Amber. It's this dainty little thing. And we say, Amber, you go first. And we stick her in it, and we push her down. Because we were brave young men, right? And we just push her down, and down she goes. Of course, she gets hurt. They're screaming and everything else. Parents come running. What were you thinking? Well, we weren't, as kids do. I, I could just see Adam, like, like, here's Eve going through the whole thing. He knows the word. The Lord spoke to him. He knows he has dominion. He knows he has authority. He knows he's not supposed to eat of it. And he's just standing there watching, like, I wonder what will happen. Not being the authority that he was called to be in her life. Not saying, hey, we don't do this. This is not who we are. And I just wonder how many times, not just us as husbands, but we as people of God have seen other people walk into error and we're like, well, it's not really my problem. Or we're like, well, I wonder, let's wait and see what happens. Let's wait and see what everyone says. And if everyone's okay with it, then maybe I'll try too. Right? Where, and I'm just going to pull this out. Don't, I know there's different convictions all over this room. I'm just pulling stuff out here. We think, well, I don't, I don't, I have a conviction on me not to watch rated R movies. Maybe that's your thing. And then you're like, well, they watch rated R movies. And we watch those people for a while. Like, man, they're really, they're really getting in with the Lord, not realizing they have all these other struggles going on. And then we're like, well, I think God, I think it's okay for me then. But there's doubt inside of you. And you, this, that's this thing. You're not going to that brother and saying, you know, maybe you shouldn't. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying let's lean into the Lord and let him talk to us. And maybe you and I will have a conversation one day and I'll be like, hey, maybe you shouldn't. But it's not because I'm trying to beat you over the head with right and wrong. It's because I'm trying to push you in closer to Jesus Christ. So, um, so their eyes are opened and they decide to get some leaves. Um, Another day we were in, here's another story about a shameful moment in my childhood. Uh, we lived in Bixby. We were building bike ramps. We were boys building bike ramps. We had these neighbors with boys. And we were building bike ramps, and we had these bricks and the plywood. And first the ramp was just one brick high. Then it was two bricks high. And instead of just going then three, then four, we decided to use all five. Just Let's just go for it. And there's this ramp. And we're looking around like, someone needs to try this ramp. And I look at my brother, Adam, like, Adam, go. He's like, oh, I don't think so. I was like, no, it'll be awesome. Go for it, right? And because um, I guess I have a problem with my childhood where I, I'll apologize for it later. So, um, so here comes Adam. He runs and he hits this ramp. Boom, off he goes. And, of course, it doesn't go well. He goes in over in and he's crying. And this is like, 
sandy yards with thorns and, and burrs and everything in them, and so he's hurting and everything else, and uh, we're, we don't know what to do, and as one comedian said, we're looking at each other, you know, he's like bleeding, we're like, oh, get some leaves, you know, because we have no clue, we're being nine-year-old paramedics there, and um, it's kind of like what these guys do. It's like they, their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked, and so they sewed some leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Like, they realize they're naked, and the response is, get some leaves. Like, that'll fix it. But there's a shift in the story here. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. There's a shift in the name of God there. Did you see it? They heard their God, their God, Yahweh. Elohim, they heard their God coming to them. Not just God, their God. What happens here is, and, and the whole leaf thing, and it says they hide, right? They hide. The whole leaf thing goes like this. They realize they're naked, and the first thing is they're ashamed. Well, who is there to be ashamed? They only had each other. They were ashamed in front of each other. So first they're ashamed around each other, and then when God shows up, they realize they're also ashamed in front of him, so they run and hide. And that's what sin does. It makes us ashamed to be around each other. It makes us ashamed to be open, honest, and vulnerable with what's going on in our lives. And then it makes us ashamed of God. And so instead of leaning into our brothers and sisters in Christ and leaning into the Lord, we retreat and hide. And we think we're doing a good job, but what we've done is taken a bunch of leaves and sold them together and think, oh, I'm fine. I'm good, not realizing how ridiculous we look. Not realizing that, that God, your God, can remedy the problem. In 1 John chapter 4, we talked about this at the wedding yesterday, which, by the way, you guys are awesome. Thank you to all of you who just stepped up and helped with that wedding. I know a lot of you couldn't make it. It was hot. Don't, don't feel bad. It was really hot. Um, but thank you to this church for loving this couple, this young couple. They're doing so good and um, just excited to see what God will do in them. But yesterday at the wedding, we talked about 1 John chapter 4. It says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And that's what their Lord God had come to the garden to do. And he asks a question. He says, they said they, hot, they hid because they realized they were naked. And God asks a question. He says, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? And what I get from that is God is more concerned with relationship with you than what you're ashamed of. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you that you needed to hide? It wasn't God. Who told you you weren't worthy? And that's one thing we talked about yesterday is, is some things... We love because they're valuable, but some things are valuable because they're loved. And you are loved by the king of kings. You are loved by the God of the universe. And what is their reaction? Eve's, or Adam's reaction is to blame Eve. What's Eve's reaction? Eve's reaction is to blame the snake. And you can go through here and read it, and I won't for the sake of time this morning but that's what we do we like to blame our sin on other people and not own it and and this is the beginning of 
the scripture tells us if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. There has to be a moment where you own it. Listen, I get that you were hurt. And I will not diminish that. Hurt's a real thing. I understand your life was hard and maybe someone did that to you. And I don't want to diminish that. But when you stand before God, he will not allow that to be an excuse for the disobedience in your life. He will hold you accountable for what you did in spite what was done for you or done to you. And you must stand before God and say, okay, God, yeah, this was done to me, but I have to react in a way that doesn't pass blame on anyone else, but I take responsibility for my part and my part alone. And I will surrender to your word and I will be who you've called me to be. And if we look in verse 15, then he curses the snake. And this is the first time we see this little part of Christ in the Old Testament. He says in verse 15 of chapter 3, you can highlight this in your Bible. This is so good. He tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. And this offspring, we believe, is Christ. He shall bruise your head. I mean, come on now. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I, I think this is crazy, because you think, well, wait a minute. Like, he shall bruise, bruise your head, and you're going to be dead. No, no, it actually says that the enemy will actually get a shot in on her offspring. And if we're talking about Christ, isn't that exactly what we saw in Jesus, that he actually was nailed to a cross? He was actually nailed to a cross. And the enemy was like, yeah, I'm, I'm having my shot now. But here's what we know, that that cross didn't stop him. It was nothing more than a bruise on the heel. And i tell you something, a bruise on the heel ain't nothing compared to a bruise on the head. And we know that in the cross, that Jesus had complete victory over the enemy. And if we fast forward then to verse 21 it says and the lord god made for adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them see he said look your leaves cute nice try your leaves aren't enough i'm going to give you a better garment i'm going to put something on you more permanent i'm going to cover you i'm going to cover you because your attempt to cover yourself it's pathetic but I'm going to cover you in a way that your shame can be no more. But to do this, there had to be sacrifice. To do this, it was skin. So an animal had to die. Something had to die to cover their shame. And this is where we see Christ all over again. In John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist is proclaiming that Jesus is the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. He says, behold the Lamb of God. And so here's Jesus. He's this Lamb. And what do we know about lambs in Old Testament Scriptures? Lambs were sacrifices that the people of God made to God to do what? To cover their sin, to cover their shame. And here's Jesus. He's this Lamb. But Revelations, which is the last book in the Bible, actually says something about genesis it says this it says that jesus is the lamb that was 
slain before the foundation of the world. Before the world ever started, Jesus had already died. He had already been slain. Here's the reality. To cover their, your shame, someone's going to have to make payment somewhere. And we've talked about this before, that a good judge demands payment for crime. If someone murders one of my family members and we go before the judge and the judge looks at the murderer and says, you know, I'm a good and gracious and loving judge. And because of that, I set you free. I would not say that's a good judge. I'd say that's an evil judge because he just let crime go unpaid. But the good judge, the good and gracious loving judge, he holds people accountable for their crime. The wages of sin is death. I've committed crime against God. And there has to be payment made. And in Hebrews 9.22, it says that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There's no way to cover your shame without somebody paying. And this is the last part. You can turn with me to Romans chapter 5. This is where I'm ending today. In Romans chapter 5, it says this in verse 6. It says, while we were still weak, while we were still naked, while we were still broken, while we were still completely jacked up and messed up, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He became that covering for our sins. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still hiding behind leaves in a garden, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice that God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is, is a foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we see is, is a typology of what we're going to find that Jesus does for us and what he's done for us today. And I'm looking across the room at so many of you, and man, so many of you have heard the gospel so many times. So many times. But as I'm going through this today, I, I don't want this just to be another teaching on the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, ladies and gentlemen, let us be fully reconciled to God this morning. Is there a part of your life that you're holding back? Is there a part of life that you're grabbing leaves and trying to cover, thinking you've got it all right? 
And I'll say this, is there a brother or sister in your life that you love dearly and you have a relationship with and you see them grabbing those leaves, but you've just been standing there watching with your hands in your pocket, wondering if it's going to work out? Not going to them in love and saying, brother, sister, man, I'm here for you, but we need to walk through something right now. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. We are called to walk with one another through this life. We are called to call each other to be reconciled to God. So what area of your life are you hiding? Can I say something? Drop the leaves this morning. You look ridiculous. It's not fashionable. Jesus is the only way to cover the shame in your life. Jesus is the only way to be healed from the things that you think. Jesus is the only way that you're going to be able to forgive those people that have hurt you and wounded you. And I, something that's just been on me for a while, is there's, a, there's a big dis- difference between a wound and a scar. A wound is something that keeps bleeding and keeps bleeding. We all have kids and they'll have a scab on their knee and they'll keep picking at it. And you stop picking at that. Some of us, we just love picking at that scab, reopening the wound. You might, it's time to let the Lord move in, offer some forgiveness in your life, and let that thing heal. And yeah, the scar will still be there, but that's just a testimony of what God has done in your life. You just keep covering it with leaves. It's time to let the Lord cover it. Will you stand with me and bow your heads? And um, I guess I should have asked someone a while back to, Play something or something. This morning, let's be reconciled to God. Forerunner House of Prayer, let's be reconciled to God. Now I want you to bow your head and, and to, to continue with the analogy, metaphor, whatever it is. What area of your life are you trying to cover up because you're ashamed of? What area of your life, and you're, maybe it's just you're ashamed before God or you're ashamed before your brothers and sisters, what area of your life are you hiding, you're holding back? It's time to put that under the blood of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross so we could be fully he 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 died on the cross sure the enemy he bruised his heel but jesus bruises the enemy's head by rising from the dead proving to be victorious over death hell and the grave proving to be victorious over sin paying the price for our sin and i know everyone in this room knows that i know you know he paid the price for your sin But I want you to hear something this morning. He paid the price for your sin. You don't have to walk in shame about it anymore, but you do have to surrender to the King of Kings. You have to come out of your hiding place. You have to walk into the light. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to do business with God. You need to pray yourself. Don't just listen to my prayer. You need to pray yourself. And as you're praying, 
just as the Lord exposed you to the light. And after I'm done praying, there's some of you, there's some of you need to find a man or woman of God to walk with you. You need to say, look, I've been hiding this thing. I've been ashamed, but I, I want to walk with you. I, I want you to walk with me through this. I, I had someone text me at 2.30 a.m. last night because they're like, hey, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. You know what we did? We went to the Word. We, I walked with them. You've got to be open. You've got to be honest. You've got to be vulnerable. You have to expose yourself to the King. Father God, we come before You right now in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. God, we thank You for Your outrageous love. We thank You for Your mercy that's completely unreal. And we thank You for Your amazing grace. God, we know at the right time Christ died for us. God, none of us deserved it. None of us were worthy of it. And yet still you gave yourself completely away. And God, right now I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has not called you Savior and Lord, Lord, they've been, they've been faking and they've just been pretending. God, I pray today they would surrender their lives to you. They would say yes to you, Lord. That you would be not just God anymore, but you would be their God, their personal God the God of this congregation, the God of your church. And Lord God, I pray for the hidden areas of our life that we're ashamed of. God, that you would just come begin to expose your light on those areas. God, I pray right now all across the room, people would just begin to confess sin to you. God, and you would begin to just pour your grace out to them, your forgiveness out to them, that they would surrender in those areas to you, God. And Lord, God, I pray you give us the boldness to step out from the bushes, to drop the leaves, and to find a brother or sister in Christ to walk with us that we would be honest with. Someone that will lead us to be the men and women of God we're called to be so that we can be powerful and effective in this community. Because, God, there's so many in this community who need to know you. Jesus, I thank you for the work that you're going to do in this church and through this church, that many will come to know you as Savior and Lord because of the people standing right here in this room. I thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.